0: hey good morning as well my family my friends so good to be with you on this final sunday of our life with god series and and before we jump into it i just want to say good morning or good day to my buddy eric faust who's watching online from australia uh, at night here on sunday night and it's so cool i ran into a couple at Light the Night who uh, is not able to get here on Sundays but is able to watch our live stream. And so, so thankful that one of the byproducts of this COVID season is that we now have an ongoing live stream and people can tune in literally from around the world. So Eric Faust, hello. (laughs) As well as I wanna say hi to uh, Linda Feather. So Linda has been a faithful member of our church She's a widow now, her husband, Jerry Feather. You may not know that name, but when I describe Jerry uh, who passed away in May, you'll recognize him. Jerry was the wonderful greeter in our Wellington Street parking lot with the cowboy hat. Remember Jerry, as you'd come in here, those of you here on campus, you'd never would forget Jerry's wonderful greetings uh, to each of us. And so Jerry passed away during the COVID season of May, 2020. Linda and Jerry would have celebrated 58 years of marriage tomorrow. And so I just want to give a shout-out to Linda. We are with you in this season of adjustment and grief. God is real. And we thank you for loaning your husband to us every single Sunday for so many years. And Jerry has an amazing story of growing up in a church thinking he was religious but not knowing Jesus. And about 20 years ago, he gave his life to Christ, and it radically changed him. And today, as we worship here, he's in heaven, (laughs) worshiping uh, both in spirit and truth, but also in sight, which is just awesome, awesome to think about. And so thank you again, Linda, for that. And I want to give a shout-out to Vanessa Moore. I found this on her social media site this week, and I thought it was great. Uh, Vanessa and her husband Aaron actually surrendered their lives to Jesus at our Alpha course a couple years ago, which was awesome. So we're thankful for that. But Vanessa posted this, and I'm like, oh, this is so true right here. Here's a guide here on this daylight savings ending day to putting your clocks back. If you have a smartphone, leave it alone. Leave it alone, it just does its work, it's magic. If you need to move your sundial, just move over one house, okay? If you have a kitchen oven clock, you'll need a master's in electronic engineering or a really good hammer in order to shift the time. And if you have a car radio, it's not worth it. Just wait till the spring, okay? No one knows how to do uh, car radio changes in, in our world. So I hope you feel rested you look really good. Your faces look rested. You guys look like you're doing well, so glad to be with you. Again, as this final sermon of a nine-week series on life with God, and we've been examining different practices in order to have this rich, vibrant life with God, not just here on Sundays, but day-to-day, moment-by-moment. I hope this has been an encouraging and and even challenging series for you, I know it has been for me. There's been some of the practices that we've covered over the last eight weeks, and I'm like, ooh, okay, Lord, I think you're prompting me to dive into this a little bit more deeply and thoughtfully than I I previously have in my Christian life. And so I, I pray that same things happen for you. And so today we kind of put it all together. We talk about this idea of a rule of life. And it's really taking the practices that we've covered over the last two months and it's saying, okay, let's put some intention to these practices. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, turn in your Bibles to the wonderful book of John. It's one of the most famous passages in the Gospel of John. It's chapter 15. Chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. Goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you hit John. John chapter 15, almost to the end of that gospel. And to kind of set this story with a little bit of context, John chapter 13 through 17 give us the manuscript of the greatest dinner that there ever was. It wasn't at Five Crowns in Newport. (laughs) It wasn't at some fine Napa restaurant in Northern California. It was in the old city of Jerusalem where Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, gathered the 12, the 12 most intimate followers of Christ, and they shared a meal together. And I don't know, maybe you've never realized this before, but John 13, John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and John chapter 17 give us insight into that dinner. If you've ever wondered, well, what would it be like to have a meal with Jesus? John chapters 13, 17 give us a little glimpse, a flavor of what that would look like, to have a meal, to dine with Jesus. And right here in John 15, in the middle of this meal, we read these words from Jesus. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, just read along with me. It says this, I, Jesus speaking, am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Verse 4 of John 15. Again, these are Jesus' words recorded by his disciple John. It says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5 Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we get this glimpse of this first century meal with Jesus and his disciples, but it matters to us. Here on the end of Daylight Savings in the first Sunday of November in 2022. I wanna just kinda of look into what this, this passage is saying. What, what is Jesus actually getting at here? He says in that first line of John 15, 1, He says, I am the vine. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that that word I am is loaded with significance. It's the name that when Moses in the Old Testament asked God, who should I tell them sent me? Who, who are you? God says, I am who I am. And that becomes the defining name of God. I am. Here is Jesus in the Gospel of John. Seven different times throughout this Gospel, Jesus clearly very emphatically and intentionally says, I am. Meaning, he is equating himself with God. If you ever have someone (laughs) knock on your door in your neighborhood on a Saturday and you open it up and, and they say, hey, I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. And you're like, great, I want to talk about Jesus. I love Jesus. And then they go on to explain to you, well, Jesus was a prophet, but he never said that he was God. Well, you can stop him right there you can say, actually, in the Gospel of John, Jesus clearly and very emphatically does say that he is God. Look at John 15:1. I am. It's loaded with significance here. Jesus is claiming authority. He is the Alpha and Omega, the God man. And just real quickly, I, I gotta share with you, if I, if I mention this one, I have to mention all six other ones too. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I'm the bread of life in John 6. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. A couple verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And then we have John 15, I am the vine. Some of you, that's all you need. You can go home right now. You got it. (laughs) Feasted on Jesus. I am. I am the vine. He's... Proclaiming something pretty powerful right here. Vine was a symbol for the nation of Israel. Much like the bald eagle is a symbol for the United States. In fact, on the temple in Jerusalem, there was an inscription or a portrait, a painting, if you will, of a vine. And so the nation of Israel, the people of this identity, would look to the vine as a symbol of who they were, their identity. When Jesus is saying, now I am the vine, he is saying your identity is no longer in a nation. Let that sink in. Your identity is no longer in a nation. Your identity is in me, Jesus Christ, your savior, the leader, the Lord of your life. And as your identity as the vine, the true vine. Here's what I'll do for you. And then verses two and three of John 15 explain that. Jesus says very clearly here that he will cut off unfruitful branches and he will prune places in our life that are fruitful. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking now not to 12 disciples, but to 11. Because at the beginning of the meal, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, John 13. After washing the disciples' feet, Judas is identified as the betrayer and Judas runs out. So now Jesus is speaking just to 11 of the 12 disciples. So the context here is that Jesus is speaking to those who've placed their faith in him, who are actively following him. So he's speaking here in John 15 to Christians, not non believers, not skeptics. Not agnostics, he's speaking to those who believe in him. So if you're a believer in Jesus, he's speaking right to you right here. He says this, I will cut off unfruitful places in your life. And then I will prune, I will help shape and grow places of fruit. And then he says here in verse 4, remain in me says it, as you can see, highlighted here, four different places in these two verses. Remain in me. In the chapter of John 15, he mentions it nine times. Remain in me. Jesus' original language that he spoke, this word can can mean remain. It can also mean if you have maybe an older translation, abide. It can mean stay. And then I like this one. This is more of like a modern translation. It means... Make your home in. Isn't that good? So Jesus is saying, when he says, remain in me, he's saying, make your home in me. Let your residence be in me. You're no longer an alien or a stranger. You are my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. Some of you need to hear that here today. You feel so unworthy. You feel so unloved because of your past or because of the lies that the enemy has fed you. Hear this today. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, which you can do at any moment, you are the beloved of God. Jesus says, I am your true home. Make your home in me. Isn't that good? So John chapter 15 Upper room, final meal with the disciples. Jesus saying, here's what I'll do for you. I'm going to cut off branches that aren't fruitful, believer. I'm going to grow and prune places that are growing and fruitful. And then here's your goal. Here's your role. Verses 4 and 5. Make your home in me. Remain in me. Stay in me. Sounds good. But what does it exactly mean? Like, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm going to make my home in you. Here I go. Okay, what do I do? (laughs) That's what we've been talking about over the last nine weeks, right? Eight, nine weeks counting today. We've been talking about the way to remain in Jesus, the way to make your home in Jesus is, is practicing some of the things that the scriptures describe. Getting alone with God, solitude. But then also having times of community like this on a Sunday with brothers and sisters being mutually encouraged, benefiting one another. It's practicing Sabbath, having uh, extended times to just focus and, and separate yourself with God. It's to feast on the word of God. Jesus is the bread of life, and his word brings us nutrients. It's fasting, not just feasting, but it's also fasting. It's at times withdrawing and abstaining in order to hear from God and acknowledge his presence. It's generosity. It's saying, God, my stuff doesn't belong to me. It ultimately all belongs to you. It's from you and for you. And so I want to give whatever you're calling me to give. We had the um, Smolitzas, as Robert mentioned here, from Kosovo last weekend. And they didn't mention that because we already give to them as a church. But they were $2,000 short of their monthly Um, that they needed to survive in Kosovo. And I got a text message yesterday that someone not here at Calvary Church, but unrelated, heard about their need and committed to supply them for the next two years of serving in Kosovo. It's like unbelievable, amazing. That's just generous. It's going, God, you've given it to me all and I'm gonna give it to you. We've talked about simplicity in this busy, complex world, living more simple lives. And in the last two weeks, we've talked about prayer, which is keeping company with God, Eric described. I really like that definition. Just keeping company with the Lord. And so those are some ways that we remain with God, that we make our home in God. And that all leads to what I wanna talk about just for a few minutes, is this idea of a rule of life. This idea that we have intentional practices And we have rhythms in our lives to remain in God, to make our home in God, to practice some of the things that I just mentioned. The goal of that is not just to have a checklist of things to do, but it's this, what Psalm 16 talks about. Keep your your focus in John 15, but just look at the slide here. I love the psalmist when he says these words. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. I want you mentally to circle the word in your mind, joy and pleasures, and then underline in your mind, if that's even possible, presence. When we experience the presence of God, it just brings joy and pleasure to our lives. A rule of life is not meant to hold you down. A rule of life, as you practice intentionally the things of God to remain and, and keep your home in Him, brings such joy, such satisfaction to your life. Does it mean your life is easy? Heck no. (laughs) Does it mean you have God? Yeah, it does in all that you do. When we talk about the rule of life, though, I think it's important to just acknowledge the elephant in the room, and that is many of us hate rules. (laughs) How many of you, by a show of hands, Always read the rules before you play a board game. How many of you? Wow. I do not relate to any of you at all. Uh, I think rules are just suggestions. Kind of figure things out as you go. For some of us, rules, yeah, they get in the way of things. Other times, rules can just kind of feel sort of dumb. (laughs) Read the sign right here. Sometimes rules don't make sense. Our family's been watching a lot of high school football games this year, and I always think it's comical when the referee throws the penalty flag, a rule's been broken, and one coach is like, no, no, that's, how could you call that referee? And then the other, ref, other coach on the other side is like, Good job. That was, yeah, great call, referee. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) Same play, two different points of view. Often rules feel restrictive. Rules feel dumb. Rules feel kind of arbitrary depending on what point of view you're looking at them from. But regardless of how we feel about rules, we all have rules in our life, whether we realize it or not. Uh, You'll hear me quote this guy a lot in this sermon and and maybe even from now on because I've just really loved his writings. His name's Justin Whitmill Early. And he's written a book called The Common Rule, Habits for a Life of Chaos. (laughs) And in The Common Rule, Justin writes this sentence, and I think it's so true. He says, your life is full of significant moments but it's also filled with the thousand unnoticed habits that you practice every day. Isn't that true? There's the significant moments of our life, birthdays, anniversaries, daylight savings ends. But there's also just the moment by moment and the habits that we don't even really know that we often practice. I think about when I do premarital counseling and one of the questions I ask couples is, what are some rules that you have in your life that you've never shared with your fiance? And at first they can't come up with any, but then I start giving them some examples. And they're like, oh yeah, I actually have a lot of rules. Like one couple I ran into said, in my home, you never put a bottle on the table when you have a meal. So you never put milk on the table, like the carton, or you never put a ketchup bottle on the table. You always put that like in a little dish or a little cup. Anybody have that rule in their family? Or maybe it's the opposite. You always, boom, slam down the ketchup every meal. Let's doctor this stuff up. There's all kinds of rules that we have in our daily lives. Maybe rules for Monday morning when you run into your coworkers. Do you find, your, <laughs> do you find yourself having like the same conversations every Monday? How was your weekend? Oh, really? Oh, cool. Oh, that's great. Okay, anyways, we've got to get into, you, you say the same thing to the same person every Monday. Maybe you sit in the same seat at church every single week. Rick Larsh, is that you right there? I don't know. Maybe you always let the dog out very first thing when you wake up. Very first thing. Every morning you wake up and you let the dog out. Maybe when you get in your car, you put your seatbelt on. The moment you get in your car, you put your seatbelt on. Not maybe, I hope that is the case. We have a rebellious seven-year-old in our family who is like refusing to put her seatbelt on right now. If you guys could just pray for us, pastor's kids. Struggling. (laughs) That's a rule of life. Every time I get in a car, put my seatbelt on. Maybe you have a rule about putting on your socks and shoes. The correct way is sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Maybe for you though, you're living in the dark ages and you still do sock, shoe, sock, shoe. Is that you right there? We have a hundred habits and rules every single day. Every morning I drive on Grand Avenue here in Santa Ana and I drive by the Smog place uh, right by the 22 freeway and every single morning, one of the employees there is doing this around the circle of the smog place. And he's doing his morning exercises. Every morning, I drive by at the same time, and I see him doing the same thing. That's his rule. That's his rule of life. You may not even notice that. So we all have rules. Whether you like rules or you don't like rules, you all have habits, things that take place in your everyday life. The early church fathers recognize this. And so, they said, in order to practice being with God, we need to have a rule. In Latin, they use the word trellis. We need to have some structure in our life that helps us throughout our day remember God. We want to do these things. We want to do the practices that we've talked about over the last couple months. And maybe if you're not a Christian, you're just kind of observing today, I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you have though like a, a, a idea about what Christians are like and, and you think, oh, if that person's a Christian, they just naturally do all these things. Christians naturally wake up just reading their Bible and praying and Sabbathing, if that's a word. <laughs> but the truth is, even though the Holy Spirit is in every follower of Christ, It's still not easy to walk in intention with God. Even going back to the upper room, Jesus in John 15, he says, Remain in me, abide in me, keep your home in me. But later that night, the disciples go and they pray with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens? They fall asleep. And Jesus, when he sees his disciples asleep, he says that famous line you've heard before. Lord, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. And so at times, even the Christian life, we just feel weak. We need intention. We need a trellis, so to speak. We need rules to help us keep company with God to practice time and presence with God. So, have a little practical thing for us today. Aaron Holm, who's our pastor of spiritual formation, has put together a great resource. Maybe you grabbed it on the way in. If you didn't, that's okay. You can grab it on the way out. It's also on our website. You can find resources from today's talk as well as the last eight talks. I encourage you to to take advantage of those tools. But here's something that is working for me. I have these four grids that I look at when I create my rule of life. It's in left box, top box is relationships. Here's the daily, weekly, monthly things that, that I need to be intentional about as I receive the love of God and I give the love of God to others. Now, clearly we've talked about this, but just to say it again, we don't do these rule of life things to earn the love of God. This is a response to the love of God, but we have this box of Relationships, And then on the right top, we have daily communion. What I mean by that is my communion with Jesus, my remaining abiding home with Jesus. What are the daily practices, the weekly, the monthly? And then my work life. What's it look like in my work life? My vocational calling to be a follower of Jesus. We don't check Jesus at the door when we leave this building. And so what's it look like to to practice the presence of God at work? And then Sabbath rest, the idea of intentionally getting away and withdrawing to be with God. And so I want to give us just some examples that are in your sheets as well, if you have it now or if you leave um, and and pick one up on your way out. Just some great things that could even help you in each of these categories. Just real quick, I'm going to go fast, but I hope this would be an encouragement for you or even give you some ideas for yourself. But in relationships, here's a daily habit that I think would be helpful. If you have kids, to pray over your kids every night before they go to bed. Justin Whitmill, early in his book, he he talks about the prayer that he prays over his kids every night. And it goes like this. He looks at his kids, his boys. He says, can you see my eyes? And they say, yes. And then he says, can you see that I see your eyes. And they say, yes. And then he says, do you know that I love you? And his kids say, yes. And then he says, and this is the gospel speaking, do you know that I love you even when you do bad things? And they say, yes. And then he says, do you know that I love you even when you do good things? And they say, yes. And then Justin says, do you know that God loves you like that? And they say, yes. And then he says, rest in that love. Isn't that so good? Just a little practice that Justin does each night with his kids. Weekly, maybe it looks like in relationships, call your mom. (laughs) Call your mom as a way to bless her and love her and encourage her and pray for her. Or if your mom's uh, already gone ahead of you, maybe it's call an aunt or someone in your life that, that just needs a touch. Monthly, relational, uh, even rule of life that I have is to try to meet with a mentor. Try to meet with somebody that will, it's a little bit farther ahead of me in their walk with Jesus for encouragement and prayer. And then up to the top box of daily communion. Here's one that is going to hit you right in, in, in this, right between the eyes here. What if daily we made it our rule to look at scriptures before we looked at screens? Simple rule. Simple rule. Scripture before screens. I think that would change our lives. It would change how we connect and remain and abide and stay at home with God. Weekly, a daily communion practice could be just I'm going to commit to attend church. The average churchgoer in 2022 attends church twice a month, and they're considered consistent. (laughs) What would it look like? Not as a legalistic rule, but as a way just to connect with God and and with his people, to say, I'm going to commit to be here every week, even when I'm tired, even on the three Sundays it rains, even during the Santa Ana winds. What would it look like in daily communion with God to fast from something for 24 hours? We practiced a fast uh, last month. And you guys, it was impactful for me. Just abstaining from food for three simple meals just had such a profound impact on, on my heart and my mind with God. And then jumping down to the bottom box of work life. What would it look like if daily... You started your day by getting on your knees, if you're able, and just praying for your workday. How cool would that be? You walk into your office or you open your computer and before you start anything, you just say, Lord, you've called me to this job. I give you my day and my work. May it be an act of worship to you. What would it look like month or weekly? if you had a list of coworkers and you just prayed for them by name? How would that change how you viewed your coworkers if you had prayed for them by name earlier that day? What would it look like monthly if you just looked at your three-month calendar and said, God, I need such discernment in my work life. Things go so fast. God, may I make decisions that honor you and build this Job. And then finally, in the category of Sabbath rest, what if daily you put your phone on airplane mode during dinner hour? Just one hour, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., just flipped it onto airplane mode and just said, I am not reachable during this hour. What would it look like in Sabbath practice to take a Saturday morning and just slow down and spend extended time with Jesus? What would it look like monthly to go on an extended hike or walk? We have the beach, you guys. We have the mountains. We're so blessed here in Orange County. Just to get away as physically able and just go on an extended walk and just you and God. I don't know. You guys can think of probably better examples than any of these I've just given you. But I just would encourage you, challenge you, urge you, create a rule of life in these categories. Because if not, even our best hopes don't become habits. Every year that happens, right? New Year's Eve. Here's what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to lose 80 pounds and replace it with 80 pounds of muscle. And then here we are again. I love what John Ortberg says. He says, habits eat willpower for breakfast. (laughs) So sometimes habits can be difficult to start, think about, continue. But a habit doesn't become normal until it is. So what's it look like to begin to lean into this, to remain in Jesus, to abide in him, to make your home in him through a simple rule of life? And so you can see uh, on your sheet that you'll get or you have, there's two sides of it, two just examples of, of how you can work this out. And again, you can find these resources on our website. And then here at Calvary, we wanna just give you opportunities, events to just practice abiding, remaining in Jesus. And just a couple of things coming up that I just wanted to point out to you. One is uh, on Tuesday night, there's a ton of churches here in Orange County that are dedicated the next three days to prayer. And Tuesday is central Orange County's kind of time to gather. And we'll be gathering at Nusan Church down on 17th Street here in Santa Ana. Uh, Eric Wakeling will be leading us. We'll have our own worship team uh, being a part of this as well. i encourage you just to come and, and gather with other believers and dedicate Orange County to the Lord once again. And then, ladies, uh, next week we have this opportunity for you just to slow down, to practice a Sabbath To just come here and and say, God, I want to slow down my schedule and meet with you. And then as the guys mentioned, next week we start a series in the Gospel of Luke. Diving into just Jesus' birth and what that means for us here today. But the point of all of this, Psalm 27. One thing I've asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord All the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. Can I just say this, probably as clearly, as winsomely as I can? Jesus is beautiful. He is worth spending time with, He is worth fixing your gaze on. He will change you from the inside out, just like He did with Jerry Feather just like he has with Vanessa and Aaron. God will redeem you, lead you, and be with you. Psalm 27, just such a great reminder of that truth. And then we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. You may come with this great crafted rule of life, and then all of a sudden you'll just fall on your face. I meet with a spiritual director from time to time, and I brought him my... Rule of Life, and I was super proud of it. And I presented it to him, kind of like a kid presenting like a paper to a fifth grade teacher. And I was like, what do you think? It's pretty good. Pretty disciplined. I'm going to crush it this year. Pastor of the Year, Time Magazine. (laughs) And he looked at it. He's like, wow, you've committed to a lot. I'm like, I know. I can do it. He goes, why don't you just start simply with one thing? <laughs> because he knew as we'd been meeting together, my propensity to try everything and fail and then give up. Are you with me on that? So let's just start small. Let's start with one or two things to be intentional, to remain, abide, keep our home in God. You know, Jesus had a rule of life. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, it says this. But the news about him, Jesus, was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus is doing incredible kingdom work here. But Jesus himself would, and what does it say, often slip away into the wilderness to Sabbath to pray. So Luke is observing here what he's been told by the disciples as this was a common practice for Jesus, was to withdraw often and pray. And so when we fail our rural lives, and we will, I want us to rest in the truth that we have a Savior, we have a leader, we have a Lord in the person of Jesus Christ who has gone before us. And he's lived the life that none of us could live. And in our failures, we simply lean on him. Amen? Amen. That leads us into communion. And we're going to have this great opportunity right now just to rest in Jesus Christ and to remember what he has done on the cross. In John chapter 15, we've read about this remain in me. But further down in John 15, Jesus says this. A true friend is someone who lays his life down for his friend. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus has laid his life down, going to the cross, not for what he did, but for what we did, what I did. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we could be forgiven and cleansed once and for all. And so that's what we're remembering in communion. I'm going to invite you as um, we just quietly worship right now. There are stations around the room. And invite you, if you're able, just to get up and grab a communion element. There's both our prepackaged elements and our little matzo crackers. Get whatever one you like. And then as you walk up to receive these at different points in the room, just pray, God, I want to remain in you. I want to abide in you. Help me to make my home in you. Show me what that looks like. And then take the elements and then you can come back and just prayerfully sit at your seat and then I'll lead us in communion in just a couple minutes. And so you're free at this point to get up and grab the elements. What a privilege this is to celebrate this together. So Jesus in John 15 gives these words in the upper room to his disciples. And then also in that same dinner conversation, he invites them to partake in communion. And he says this is to foreshadow what's about to happen. Now we take it to remember what's already been accomplished. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, "Uh, I just need to work a little bit harder and then God will somehow accept me. Just know you can rest in the truth that Jesus has already paid it all. Jesus has already accomplished the work on the cross. It's finished. And for some of us, that means right now we need to come to Jesus and say, God, forgive me for trying to be religious and not understanding that this is a relationship. And so in this moment, I come to you, Jesus. Become my savior, become my Lord. Forgive me of my sins once and for all. May I rest in your finished work. If you just said that, that's amazing placed your faith in Jesus Christ you can know that you can know that as you take these elements today that your sins nailed to the cross you are clean and for all of us that have made that decision whether that was at seven years old or 70 or somewhere in between let's rest in the fact that it has been accomplished and so to remind ourselves that Jesus says this said that this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you take the bread right now? In the same way at that great dinner, Jesus lifted up the cup and he said, this cup of redemption This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's take the cup together. Heavenly Father, what a joy and an honor it is to remain in you. God, I pray that your spirit would do great work in us. That you would intentionally just draw us towards you, not just in these moments on Sundays, but in our everyday life. Start with me. Amen.